Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack. I'm your host, Josh Scar. With me uh, this week is, I, I always want to say as always, because that's what other hosts say, but I have a rotating cast, and I don't know why I always want to say as always, but it's never always, because it's always different. So, as always, it is a different host, but this time it's not quite different, because we have Alex back. Alex, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. You know, uh, I am working on that always part. So you let me know what needs to be cleaned up around the office, what needs to be, <laughs> when the water jugs need to be refilled, how you like your tea. I'm sorry last week that I put three uh, tablespoons of honey. You only like two. My bad. Well, there's also the whole fact that I don't like tea and I don't like warm drinks. So there's there's that whole thing there, too. Ah, uh, two strikes. There we go. You keep bringing me these warm drinks. And I'm just like, what the heck do I do with this? <laughs> Happy New Year as well. It is our first episode of the new year. 2022 is roaring in for us in our area. Uh, I'm looking outside and it looks like 1992 static TVs. Yeah, I look out the back window right now and it looks like it's blowing east to west. I look out the front window and it's just settling down normally. Mine looks like a snow globe. It's just going everywhere. I mean, it's really light and there's not a whole lot of it, but it's just there's a lot of flakes if that makes any sense at all. Wonderful, wonderful snow. Uh, if only this was here two weeks ago. I, I like white Christmases. I don't like snow any other time, though. No. Means shoveling, means salt, means back-breaking labor, means wondering why, again, I did not buy a snowblower. Uh. Uh, my, my father-in-law bought us a snowblower a couple years ago, and it has been a godsend. So I, I appreciate that every winter. Uh, so this week we're talking Hawkeye and Matrix Resurrections. I'm still not used to saying Resurrections on that. There should there's not there's another Matrix movie yet, and it's not Revolutions anymore. That's the last one. It's Resurrections. That's maybe the last one. But we're gonna start talking with Hawkeye. Before we really get started, I did want to take a quick moment and thank the fellows at the Twist My Arm Network. They had me on their show Quest Me to talk the first episode of Bo- The Book of Boba Fett, which, full disclosure, I had no intention of really watching at any kind of in-depth analysis. It was purely by chance that I actually even watched the first episode. And through our friends at the Red Dove podcast, they recommended or threw our name out there because they were looking for a get the Twist My Arm people were looking for a host because they, they kind of lost track of what day it was and they're they're just kind of like oh crap we need we need a guest who can we get red dove through us out there and i initially was just kind of like i have no interest in boba fett i don't want to talk about this so I, I just said i there there's nothing that i really feel like i can discuss that would add anything to the conversation but thanks for throwing my name out there red dove because we love you and through A couple of hours, I was like, I really love just talking nerd stuff, so if they really need help, I'll I'll throw them a bone. I'll see what I can do, if I can add any kind of content. And it ended up being a good, almost 90-minute conversation that was just a lot of fun. It was way more fun than I thought a, a discussion of the Book of Boba Fett really could be, especially after that first episode. They have offered to bring me back towards the end of the season to kind of see where... I am with my journey on my feelings towards Boba Fett, as well as to discuss the book of Boba Fett. So that's something to keep an eye out for. And in the description, I will put a link to the YouTube stream. If you can give them a like, give them a subscribe and kind of do a double support where you you follow what I did and you follow them for their content as well, because it it was a lot of fun. and There were some pretty good dudes. 
Hawkeye ended the was that the week of Christmas? The uh, yep, twenty second. The twenty yeah, so the week of Christmas because that was a Wednesday. Christmas was a Saturday, and we got six episodes, which very much felt like they just filmed a movie and just didn't delete any scenes. I would be very interested to see if there were any actual deleted scenes from this show. But, uh, we're going full spoilers into Hawkeye, so again, apologies if you haven't watched it. Um, I will do my best to do time codes, but no promises. Very heavily influenced by the Matt Fraction and David Aha comic. Uh, if anyone's read it, you the the Trust a Bro Moving Company, the Tracksuit Mafia, the Hearing Aid, all I mean, all of that is really bled out from the Matt Fraction comic. And I apologize if I sound a little weird. I'm my I got a really bad catch in my throat. My house is really dry. I need to invest in a humidifier. <laughs> The show, I I have positive feelings regarding it. There's, I really like some of the things they introduce. Like they introduce Clint's dealing with PTSD. Um, he's dealing with the cumulative injuries that were brought up during his run in the MCU. They they showed that he developed a disability with his hearing aid issue, but also they have um, they have Echo, which has her disabilities. They brought up more representation within the MCU, which is also which is great. The chemistry between Hawkeye and Kate was fantastic. When Yelena shows up, her introduction wasn't really explored other than, you know, the MC was basically like, hey, you've seen the movie, you know who she is. And it had a sound resolution. Other than that, it just, it was just there. It was a good show. It was a good run. But I don't feel like there was a lingering consequence necessarily from it. Um, One fun fact about the actress that plays Echo, which I will pull that up here real quick. She is actually uh, an amputee. She she wears that prosthetic, and that's something they added to the character. And she is also authentically deaf. Alakwa Cox is her name. Uh, she plays Maya Lopez, aka Echo. But yeah, she she brought a lot to the the character of Echo, which is admittedly something very hard to do, and it's something really cool to see uh, where someone with a disability, let alone an amputee as well, be given such a really physically uh strenuous i don't know <laughs> uh, a really demanding yeah physically demanding role and i i like that they they turned her prosthetic limb into a, a positive for her like she uses it offensively as well as defensively like there's a mm-hmm. scene i think in episode three where someone takes a bat to her or a baton and she just kind of lifts her leg and she the thing just breaks on the leg and now all of a sudden the person's out of a weapon and she's at the advantage yeah, they treated her with some great respect, and they gave her, and they devoted a lot of time to build her distrust of why she's going after, uh, why she wants Ronan, and then ultimately why she needs to go after Clint. Oh yeah, I should say we're going full spoilers oh. because it's been two weeks, so <laughs> I'll I'll edit this into the front as well. So uh, we're going full spoilers into Hawkeye. So again, apologies if you haven't watched it. Yeah. Um, I will do my best to do time codes, but no promises. But spoiler alert. It was a pleasant show to watch. It was a good... I don't know if I'm going to necessarily revisit anything with it. I think I, I'll revisit it just because, again, like you were talking about, where especially once Yelena shows up, whenever she's on screen, she steals the show. And her chemistry with Haley Steinfeld is just fantastic. I mean, it was literally that same day I, I turned to my wife, or that same night. I'm like, how long before we have people shipping this? And then I woke up the next day on Twitter, and sure enough, there's people arguing about the age difference because Yelena was born in like 1988 or 1989 and technically Kate was born in 1997 or something and they're 
she was Yelena was blipped and they're arguing these semantics and it's just like who cares who cares just ship them <laughs> exactly people can ship what they want because that's how shipping works <laughs> if you don't like it then just don't listen to it it's fine but i i mean i i'm not saying i ship them that's a completely different thing i'm just saying that I could literally watch a show of just Kate and Yelena sitting around talking. While eating macaroni and cheese with hot sauce. Yes, which apparently that was legitimate. The The producers were actually getting really concerned that Florence Pugh was going to get sick with as much as she was eating. <laughs> we kind of talked a little bit about the basics of the show. Um, so what what overall did you really like? Or is there anything that really stands out to you from the show besides Yelena? Um, no, I think I touched on it. The... Um the one mostly i'm left with like two big questions um now the show is uh, kind of ended and that is more what i think about than i really think about like revisiting other than like a scene here or there uh one of the questions is um are they going to do anything with laura barton's mystery and the fact that for some reason this rolex watch which says agent 19 or 923 or whatever the number was like what is how can oh that... you sweet simple summer child <laughs> Like, how was that watch so oh, important? How, how you don't know the things. <laughs> I'm just being pandering. I, I, I apologize. No, you're so fine. so the, the significance of that, just to kind of get into it, Agent 19 in the comics is Bobby Morse, a.k.a. Mockingbird, which in the comics, Mockingbird and Hawkeye were married for a time. <gasps> so that it's just kind of a nice nod. Scandalous. Exactly. So even though her name is Laura Barton, maybe Laura was her actual name or maybe Laura is still her code name. But it's just a nod to the fact that Clint and Mockingbird or at least Agent 19 are married in the MCU. Oh, but yeah, but it's like they found your watch. The The significance of it is that it maintain it. The, the watch holds all these details about her, which seems really weird. Yeah, I mean, what is, like, the timepiece? Like, are the numbers, like, her spell her house number? (laughs) The, like, time is, the you know, the time says her maiden, uh, her mother's maiden name or something. That was just kind of weird. But it it did make me a little curious because I like Linda Cardellini. The other thing is, I think we can agree, Kingpin's not dead. Oh no, he's he's definitely not. <laughs> the the Echo series is going to open up in that alleyway and it's going to open with her pulling the shot and firing and then he's going to have his eyes clenched like, "Oh, I'm not dead." Okay. And then she's going to sign to him like, "Leave me alone or I'm going to tear down what you've built or something to that effect." Yeah. And it's it's going to he's he's definitely not going anywhere. He'll probably be a staple in some of these MCU series that are coming up. Because I think he could work really well with a Ms. Marvel. He could work really well with a She-Hulk, especially if if the timeline works where Echo is the first series, you could see She-Hulk ending up being uh, the, what would it be? It'd be the prosecution against Wilson Fisk. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so that could be a, a big thing, too. This this is just me completely speculating that there's obviously nothing confirmed. Right. That's the only part that like kind of, is why I think the show was just fine. Is that the last episode, other than some very adorable moments, like them building the all the the all the arrows together, and they have the Ant Man tech and the Stark tech and all that stuff, and the, you know the Pym particle stuff, and so it just kind of felt like it didn't necessarily end. Yes, Clint gets home, he's with Kate. Now Kate has like an adoptive father, adoptive family, but it was just like Yelena still has her thing to do. She now is gonna go do something to deal with her grief maybe 
uh, maybe go fully after Fisk or check in with that, considering the hits, you know, the contracts that were put up. And then Kingpin not really being dead, which, by the way, did they give him a power upgrade? He ripped the car door off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he got a power upgrade of some kind because... Um, Going from Netflix to Disney+, Plus, he got a boost. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he took an arrow to the chest, which, I mean, sure, he's thick and muscular, but that that's still a, a really sharp object straight into your sternum, man. That That's got to hurt. And then uh, taking a a car, which I mean, that car should not have been going that fast that it threw him 30 feet into a store. There's no way on a New York street that that really happens. But again, comic book logic, whatever. Well, yeah. Comic book logic. He was working her ribs and like she can breathe. (laughs) (laughs) The same guy who can rip a car door off can give uh, Kate Bishop a sucker punch to the ribs and she can breathe. It's a little, little comic book logic there. Yeah, exactly. You know, her maybe her new suit has some really good Kevlar built into it. I don't know. I will say there's two things that really stood out to me, and both of them are just really cool shots. So in the third episode, Echoes, when we get to the car chase, we get that 360 continuous shot during the chase, and that they they did release that partially uh, before the series started. But seeing it in its entirety and the way that chase ends with the giant arrow, it, it, that was just so cool. And I was listening to the podcast. I have some notes where they brought I was listening to an old episode where they're talking about power, the 2017 Power Rangers movie. And they were talking about the continuous shot at the start of the movie when Jason and his friend are running from the cops. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, they did do that. So I went back and watched that. And it, like they were very similar the Hawkeye one was just so much tech technically so much better, uh, better executed. And then at, in the last episode, you have the, the chase fight with Kate and Yelena where they're just kind of running across the same floor. And it's almost like a, a comic book panel going from right to left though, for the chase. I don't know if I'd call it a fight scene. I'd say it's more of a chase, but it, it was just, it was so cool. Just kind of seeing the silhouettes of them just, running through the floors and running through the different apartments and everything, which the only question I have about that is, is 30 rock an apartment complex as well? I thought it was just like a, a big exec or not executive, but like corporate complex. I don't know, but I would call it more of a, of a quip scene than a fight scene. It was done pretty well. It actually reminded me of old boy, which a lot of people have ripped off old boys fight scene where, there's a hallway shot and he has to go through like 40 people to get to the objective. And they, you know, they kind of hide little cuts and stuff with like barriers and stuff, but that was really cool. Something my spouse pointed out to me about that episode is that the previous episode, uh, Kate told Yelena, Oh yeah, you got to go to down to 30 rock and see the tree. And Yelena shows up to take on Clint just as the tree falls over and he's exposed. <laughs> That is a really nice attention to detail kind of thing. Speaking of 30 Rock, a lot of more eagle-eyed people than me uh, have pointed out that this show takes place uh, Christmas 2024, which fits within the MCU timeline. Hmm. But it should also technically take place after Spider-Man fought. Now I did it again. No Way Home. Oh, really? Which is maybe why certain things aren't being discussed because they've forgotten certain aspects of the marvel universe interesting which we will do a, a, a no way home review once we have seen it we still have not actually seen it everything's been spoiled at this point but still need to see it to see how it's executed 
There's only so many clips I can put together on Reddit to make a coherent film. It's it's, it's taken me a while, but I'll get it prepared for us. So yeah, while it, while Hawkeye wasn't necessarily the most action packed or anything, I think it was a really nice change of pace for what Marvel has been doing, and I I do think it kind of flows well with the the TV series or miniseries that they've been doing. The one thing that I thought they did really well, but also just kind of fell to the wayside, was Jack, who in the comics is inspired by the swordsman, who is sometimes an Avenger, sometimes a villain. You kind of get the feeling that he's hiding something, but then it just kind of disappears after, I think it was the fourth episode, where he catches Clint and Kate in the apartment. Kate and Clint have a, or Kate's mom and Clint have a discussion. Jack gets framed for something and then, oh, that's, that's just kind of it. Now he gets to have a sword fight and a redemption because he's not really the bad guy. Which I, I mean, that was a great, great fake out because Vera Farmiga is amazing. She really, really can just embody the, I love you, but you're an, a petulant child who needs to be lectured so well. I was pegging her as she's got to be bad, right? For a while. Then it turns out that, seriously, Jack was pretty much, other than hiding that he's an expert sword fighter, he was just being honest about, like, he loves her. He doesn't, you know, he makes some uh, syntax issues with some of his language. He wants to take care of Kate. He feels blessed to be part of this family. I've never even heard of that company that I'm being framed for. I'll be out in a few days. He's out in a few days. <laughs> and then what does he do? He turns out his wife is evil. Uh, well, his fiance is evil and working with Fisk. Okay, I'll just pick up a sword and start helping Kate out because that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really strange yeah. way to wrap something up, especially like with the way the series started with Armand being killed. Uh, Jack's uncle, it became a, a complete afterthought once they got too deep into the mystery of who's who's the big guy and uh, having um, Echo show up, Maya. It just it was a really strange point to just kind of wrap up really simply with, oh, uh, Kate's mom did it and we're going to move on from that. that. It was, but I dug it, uh, especially since... We got two fantastic scenes with uh, with Kate's mom. One basically telling Fisk, like, yes, I'm done. This has been great, but we're, we're done here. And then the beautiful scene at the end where the cops literally are showing up around her. And she's like, really? This is what heroes do? Arrest their mothers on Christmas Eve? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is kind of the definition of a hero. Like you got to make that hard decision. You got to make that hard choice. She's so good at, um, if you never watched Bates motel, which is not a great, necessarily a great, uh, show that was based off of basically. That's the American psycho prequel series. Isn't yeah, it? The psycho, the Alfred Hitchcock psycho uh, series. Yeah. Psycho. Yeah. Yes. Not American psycho. Um, it's going to basically a prequel to it in the last season kind of overlaps and basically becomes psycho like, uh, midway through. She is just so good at um, encapsulating uh, loving but loathing your child. (laughs) And when she went from like, and I was waiting for that pivot when you found out she's evil. You know, she's the one who set it all up. She's been working at Fist this whole time. When she did, it's just not necessarily, um, it's just a few nuances in how she frames phrases things. And it's just so beautiful. Cause she went from like, Oh yeah, she really loves her daughter. She's just a little strange to, 
Yeah, she really doesn't love her daughter at all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's that she doesn't love her. I think it's more that she's disappointed that her daughter doesn't just listen. Her daughter is too much of a a, a rogue, a wild card kind of Mm -hmm. spirit. I mean, to be fair, Kate, it did start off with the introduction of Kate Bishop um, showing us that her archery skills are so good she can cause like $50 million in damage to the university she's at <laughs> by destroying the bell tower. <laughs> and the clock. Oh, yes. The, that's the important part. <laughs> the overall ramifications of the series, I mean, it, it kind of wraps up the post credit scene from Black Widow, but not really ties up anything else um, because, I mean, it is really well self-contained. I think we... Outside of the movies at this point, um, which I mean, I'm making a really bad point running in circles right now. So with the current slate of MCU movies, we've had Black Widow, which was pretty well self-contained, and then set up Yelena, the Yelena and Hawkeye conflict in the Hawkeye series. Uh, then we had Shang-Chi, which was pretty well standalone and just essentially served to recruit him into whatever new Avengers team uh, Wong and Dr. Stranger building. And then we have Eternals, which I still haven't seen. That'll be seen in a couple weeks, and we'll actually do a review on that. So excited for that. Uh, lowest rated Marvel movie ever, which, I, again, from what spoilers I have seen, it is pretty well self-contained. It's kind of like, as far as what the story tells us, it is pretty Guardians of the Galaxy-esque, where it, it doesn't necessarily connect to anything, but it eventually will branch out. Assuming that Marvel will actually continue on with some of the threads that they've created. But I don't know what those are yet, so I can't project. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, kind of, from what I understand, is pretty well self-contained, but it will bleed into Multiverse of Madness just from what Doctor Strange is doing, which if you've seen the trailers, you know what that is. And then we have the new Doctor Strange trailer. So I think with that, that's where things are really going to kind of explode. But the the series seem to be pretty well contained. Even WandaVision, even though that's going to kind of bleed into Multiverse of Madness... WandaVision still kind of just felt like its own thing while setting up future branches. And Loki is its own series. Like there's a season two coming up again, that just kind of sent out branches into the future of the MCU. And then we had what if, which was just kind of a complete speculation kind of thing. I don't, I don't really know how that's going to impact the actual MCU. It's just more telling fun stories as far as I can tell. Which I still don't know if the doctor, the evil Doctor Strange we see in the Multiverse of Madness trailer is the Doctor Strange from What If. I still hold out that it might not be him. It could be a different evil Doctor Strange because, again, I think by the end of even his episode, the evil Doctor Strange is no longer evil. He's gained perspective. So depending on where they are in that moment, unless, again, they're trying to say that evil Doctor Strange, these timelines, we're seeing that again which seems kind of repetitive and weird, but I'm not the ones in charge of Marvel, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm assuming the what-if stuff is more like kind of like a testing ground for the weirder stuff like Marvel zombies and really existential um, storytelling. And then they'll take they'll take good little kernels out there and actually do something with it like the evil Doctor Strange. Because, I mean, if it is the same one from that one, I really need to see zombie Scarlet Witch because that was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have Vision, who apparently is feeding her people. (laughs) Those are stories I want to see if we're going to go full on. Yeah, what if it's totally canon? Well, I mean, it is. It's just 
telling the stories of the multiverse, which again, like how far from what we know of Loki, how far does that really stretch? Because we, you have the sacred timeline, you can't have branches. So are these like zombie universes, those branching timelines that they were trying to prune or were those still within the sacred timeline? And then we also now know that certain previous movies are part of the multiverse as well. Are those part of the the sacred timeline? That that's the biggest part of Loki that still has me really confused as to like what qualifies as part of the sacred timeline, and what qualifies as part of the multiverse. I don't know, but whatever gets me back to my happiness of Loki and Loki shipping each other is fantastic. <laughs> Bring on season two. Loki and Sylvie, come on, don't make it weird. <laughs> Fine, Loki and Sylvie. And a jet ski. That's all I need. Loki, Sylvie, and a jet ski. <laughs> yes. Was there anything about the Hawkeye series that you didn't like? Or uh, if you've, I don't know if you've read the comics, maybe you haven't. Um, but was there anything that they changed from the comics that you did or did not like? I have nothing on any of that. Okay, good. That gives me a soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm just going to steamroll over you for Keep this one Star for Wars a second. Go. <laughs> no, th- this isn't Star Wars. This is just me being not even a cynic. I'm just half joking because. Episode one, I loved, I think, was it episode two had the, uh, yeah, it had to have been episode two, had the LARPing episode. My favorite episode, yes. We meet Fireman Grills. Okay, he can be Grills, but we need that moment. And if you've read the comics, you know what moment I'm referring to. If you don't, you need to read the comic, but I'm going to do a really poor job of justifying or trying to explain it, where there, Hawk, uh, Grills in the comics is just a guy that lives in the building Uh, that Hawkeye owns. And that's like the main focus of the conflict in the comics. Grills is just a neighbor. He's got a little bit of a a New York accent that causes him to say things in a different way. He's also not the brightest bulb in the box, so he doesn't know things are the way they are. He has his own perspective on things. One of them being that he thinks that Clint and Alan Alda from MASH, they're called Hawk Guy, not Hawk Eye. And there's a great who's on first kind of sequence where Grills is talking to Clint in the comic and he's just like, you don't need to pretend with us, Hawkeye. We know who you are. And he's like, what? No, Hawkeye. I. I. Yeah, you, you, you're Hawkeye. Like like on MASH. Yeah, yeah, Hawkeye. It's it's a fantastic full page spread of just this conversation. And I wanted that so badly. And when they said Grills and he was just perfectly eloquent and fine. They just took the name and gave it to a guy. I was a little disappointed because that is comedy gold that everyone needs to witness. It could translate just fine, but you, you just lost something because like you could even have it play with Clint's uh, hearing issues because uh, one thing that they did change is that Clint, his hearing issues are kind of over the course of his journey as a hero. His father abused him to the point where he needed hearing aids and hearing assistance but he he's like fluent in sign language and everything in the comics whereas in the show he again it was kind of a a totality of his injuries that he's experienced through his time as an avenger and as a shield agent and then the hearing loss just kind of happened so i thought that change was a little off for me um i would have liked it if if the he was just fluent in sign language whereas i mean i guess it's it's kind of a character development thing where he's adjusting to a new way of life essentially that that's that's my soapbox is mostly just about grills everything else in that series i really enjoyed 
the influences to end on a high note uh, that that scene where Kate breaks into Maya's apartment without them knowing it was Maya's apartment. She's helping the old guy go up the elevator and bring his groceries. And she's like just outing herself as like, I've got an Avenger in my ear. She's just <laughs> giving him the, this like look of just like how excited she is. Uh, again, the series did so many great things and Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop was just fantastic casting. Yeah. And again, her chemistry with, with Clint, um, and Yelena, it just, it all worked really well. And I think Kate as the glue of that show really, um, really worked great. And I'm really excited to see how she flows and blends in with the young Avengers that I'm sure they're building towards whether it be uh, a mini series or a, a full fledged movie that they build towards. I don't know, but she's obviously eventually going to be an Avenger. They're obviously building towards something and I just can't wait to see what she's going to be a part of with this. We're going to take a short break mm-hmm. the way th- uh, we're doing. An, uh, th- I'm actually still recording. So <laughs> um, we're actually going to put this in the episode. There's a, a new thing that we're doing where we're collaborating with other podcasts mm-hmm. And we're just going to do quick little 15 second ads to promote people and other podcasts within our community, kind of let you flesh out or grow your perspective on podcasts. Like maybe you just listen to comic book or entertainment podcasts. Maybe there's something out there that you want to listen to. Uh, This week we are promoting the Unsheft podcast, which I actually have a guest spot coming up on soon. Synergy. Exactly. It's almost like it was planned. We're going to take a quick break, enjoy this ad from our friends at Unsheft, and we'll be right back. Hello everyone, this is Brendan from the Unsheft podcast. Each week on Unsheft, we unpack a topic regarding the politics and history of our plates in the hope of becoming better eaters. That's Unsheft, available now on your preferred podcast network. And we're back. Alex, I hope you enjoyed that unpaid break. And uh, now we're gonna get back to some. We're gonna get back to some unpaid podcasting. <laughs> well, you know it's government enforced. I get one unpaid break per podcast. <laughs> the last bit of entertainment smacking that we're gonna be discussing this week is one of your most highly anticipated things, kind of ever, as far as I'm aware. Uh, oh yeah, the Matrix Resurrections. Mm-hmm. I was on board that hype train. We are going to try to stick with our what you liked, what you didn't like, and then go into... Well, no, there's not a lot we can really talk about without getting into spoilers. So I think we're going to have to go full spoilers with this. Yes. So if you haven't seen The Matrix Resurrections and you don't want to be spoiled, thanks for stopping by. Please give us a like on uh, Spotify, YouTube, all these platforms. Leave ratings. Uh, Good pods. That's a big one right now. Thanks for listening for the last like 30 minutes or so. And thanks for sticking through the, the unchefed ad, but um, we're going to go spoilers in this. Uh, Alex, I'll kind of let you take the reins on this. The matrix trilogy is very formative for me. I didn't, wasn't really aware of it to my friend kind of point out that he saw it. I don't know. It was the first weekend or second weekend. He's like, dude, I can't explain this. You have to go see this. And I wasn't yet of age to see R-rated movies, so my mom bought me a ticket, and I went and saw it. And mind-blown, amazing, in-theater opening day for the second and third one, bought the Animatrix, um, 
played through Enter the Matrix so I could watch those tra- uh, the video game to watch those trailers, uh, you know, those extra scenes that they filmed for it. So the Matrix from 1999 to 2003 was what Marvel is finally becoming now. In one year, they released two movies, basically about six months apart. They released a video game, a tie-in, with 30 to 40 minutes of extra footage. They released the Animatrix, which was, you know, ushered, uh, which is overseen by them, which was this amazing, uh, amazing uh, Japanese animation artist and this amazing CGI. And then they did, you know, they did do an MMO because everybody was doing that. So you had, you know, EverQuest and I think you have the rumblings of WoW starting to be born. And they had an MMO, which they were writing story for an online community. And then, the you know, kind of went away for 12 years. And so when they announced that they were going to do the Matrix Resurrections, yes, I am hype trained. I was (laughs) on board with that thing. I have sent josh like four different discord theories of what i think each of the trailers meant that they released long massive write-ups of okay they might be going this way the story and they may be going this way what if this is true what if this what does this mean? what does it mean that you can see that the matrix is actually playing on the stage what is you know what does that person mean who's going after oh, all this time it's back to the matrix and then i watched it anyway Back to you, Josh. <laughs> yeah, the I don't the Matrix wasn't quite as formative for me. I I remember the first time I ever saw it, I was having a sleepover with my friends Jimmy and Steve, and they were talking about it, kind of quoting it and whatnot. And um, I I was lost. So I was just kind of like, I don't get it. What's happening here? And Jimmy kind of chastised me as teenagers do, and was. Like, you haven't seen The Matrix? You, you don't know what The Matrix is? So he busted out his DVD. Or no, it was a VHS copy because it was back in those days. The DVDs were, like, just starting to become a thing, but they were, like, 45 bucks. So we sat down, we watched it, and Jimmy kind of ruined the entire experience for me because he kept talking about, like, oh, man, Morpheus is such a weird dude. He just kind of kept dropping comments like that. So I was just kind of annoyed. Oh, no. Like, let me experience the movie, man. I went, eventually went out and bought it because, you know, peer pressure and my friends really enjoy it and they think it's so cool. So I should w- buy it, watch it, maybe let my dad see it, see what he thinks about it. And then if my dad doesn't like it, then we'll I'll just kind of let it fade away because whatever, it's the 90s. As I got a little bit older, I, I got new friends and we kept talking about it. And then the Matrix uh, sequels were announced and these new friends were really jazzed about it. And what really got me in, invested in it was the the McFarlane line of toys because the the figures that they were releasing were just so detailed and you I for 15 20 bucks you you don't get that kind of detail in those kind of toys. So I was really just kind of like oh and then seeing the the encapsulation of the these moments was just so cool. So I was like okay Let's let's give us another go. Let's really kind of dive into it, and I a lot of the the nuances of it, especially uh, now with people realizing that it's kind of a, an allegory for transgender people, and how like Agent Smith dead names Neo throughout the entire trilogy. Even it, it's really just kind of interesting how we all just latched onto our own things. Like there were dozens of 
philosophies of the matrix kind of things like the Christianity and the matrix, the Buddhism and matrix and all these sort of things, which I'm sure they all kind of bled into each other and they were all intentional things. But the, the main thing was the, uh, that that comes out of it now, looking back at it is kind of the transgender, uh, allegory where especially in the matrix, you have your digital self image and then you have the quote unquote real world as well, where you are, awake and alive but in the matrix you're kind of pigeonholed into this societal role and i i really dig into that too because uh, again that's something that really just kind of came to my attention as we were building up to this uh, as uh, discourse for the matrix was building um i i was never really overly impressed with the sequels especially when you do uh, a part one part two kind of deal where they're really just one really long, like four and a half, five hour long movie that we've split into two movies. The one thing that I think you always need to do with the sequel is it needs to be its own story that expands and tells, uh, can lead into more things, which is where the like original star Wars trilogy succeeded so well in that, uh, you have other trilogies like the alien series and they could end at any point, but they continue as well, or they could continue. So I, I really think the Matrix kind of the Matrix sequels really kind of stepped in their own way with this. And then I was already apprehensive about this because, uh, again, the Matrix wasn't anything that really stuck out with me for a long time or wasn't transformative for me, not to make a bad pun. It was a breath of fresh air kind of to see a new movie coming out because with the Matrix, you expect a certain thing, uh, some kind of challenging the point of views or just something a little bit deeper than your average Hollywood blockbuster. And with this, we really didn't get it to actually get into the movie. We are introduced to something that's a bit familiar, but also not. And we get some voiceovers of new characters and we are introduced to bugs and seek who wander into a a modal, which I'm not sure if that's an actual it is. Okay, it okay, uh, coder kind of thing that apparently was built by Neo to evolve a program to become Morpheus to wake him up from getting out of the Matrix or to get him out of the Matrix again. Uh, Neo has been in the Matrix for sixty years in the real world, which makes me wonder why he looks like modern day Keanu Reeves and Niobe looks like eighty, like she's supposed to. <laughs> Uh, there, there's some aging issues going on there. They've brought back Trinity. They basically gave them the Agent Coulson treatment where they rebuilt them after being dead. And uh, there's some weird things going on, but uh, we'll just kind of do our, our main thing here where we talk about what we like, what we didn't like. Uh, Alex, again, I'll, I'll kick it back over to you. What, what did you like about this? Bugs is fun. I really liked her. Yes, that was going to be my my main thing. She is fun. Um, I liked her kind of like her fanaticism of how they explain how she woke up. Like, even though the Matrix will try to, they will rewrite your digital self-image to, they were doing it to hide Neo in Trinity. There's something about a person that can still awaken something inside of you to question everything. I you question yourself, question what you're doing, um, make yourself believe in something more. I really liked that, how she explained 
that about herself. Um, uh, Neil Patrick Harris as the analyst, I absolutely loved what he was doing with it. Uh, there's some stuff towards the end that's a little meh. I, I did like the new Morpheus. I like his take on he's uh, the new Morpheus that they explained very quickly is he is an agent in this modal where he is basically being Smith in the modal. But he noticed something is wrong, something's weird, and he gets and bugs freeze him from the modal and from the matrix, and because you can now free programs, and he is kind of a representation of both of them while developing his own personality. I liked the new Morpheus. Neo and Trinity actually got to make me believe they gave a shit about each other. <laughs> That is something that was really off in Matrix after the Matrix two and three. There was the way that they filmed the characters. It was so much tell don't show. So like um, Monica Bellucci's character in the second Matrix, I forget her name. Uh, she takes Neo and Trinity and Morpheus to a bathroom, and she goes to Neo and Trinity, "You two are in love. It's written all over you how you look at each other." I'm like, they're wearing. They're wearing sunglasses and they don't have facial expressions. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then she's like, kiss me like you did her. Make me feel the love. And the most reaction we get out of Trinity is this kind of like head tilt, slightly uncomfortable, like my dude's making out with her. Because the second and third one are very emotionless. Yes. But this one, they actually have him like ice. There's a scene where I, where I, where I could tell I was invested. And that they were actually giving Neo and Trinity emotion and scope. Um, the scenes with the analyst where Neo's trying to figure out, am I broken? What's going on with me? Keanu acts, which I buy. But there's a moment where they try to free him from the Matrix the first time. There's explosions happening. He sees Morpheus, wondering how Morpheus appears in the real world. When he, I created you, you're a digital construct. How the heck are you in the real world? I'm having a mental breakdown. And he's being shot at by police and... The very quick reveal that his business partner is Smith, which they basically revealed in the trailers, and then they reveal almost the second they have a meeting together, because he literally is quoting Smith while standing next to a busk, a bust of Smith from the Matrix original trilogy, and he pulls a gun on uh, Neo, and he and Keanu Reeves drops to his knees, and he's in the and he's being rained on, and the guns point at his head, and he has this look of like please do this. Like it's this broken, like I have no idea what's wrong with me. Please just end me. And they give them weight. They give them emotion. They give them a development, the both of them. We don't need to spend as much time with Trinity, which is, you know, which is part of the storytelling process. But when she's given, when she's there, she's given weight. She's given agency. I love that. I also really enjoyed the themes. The themes are of aging. The themes are of return. The themes are of of cycles trying to repeat themselves of the machine, uh, basically machines, whether you want to use that as a metaphor for corporate America or government of if we give a little bit of freedom, we have to try to claw it back as much as possible. If we, if we try to pivot our style of business, we have to immediately fall back to money, 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 uh, aggression, profits. I mean, even Neil Patrick Harris talks about, hey, I took over and I've been setting profits year by year by, and, and his, his meaning is, he actually says, I've been setting record profit, I've been setting records every year for misery. The more I make you miserable, the better I do. Which could be a metaphor for life, could be a metaphor for business, could be a metaphor for government, could be a metaphor for oppression. 
those themes are really great. And I loved those parts of it. I, I totally agree with like 99% of everything you just said. The The first 20 minutes of that, of Resurrections are really good. Uh, oh, the new Morpheus is really charismatic. I really like mm-hmm. what they, they did with him. Uh, Bugs, as you said, she's a highlight. I really would have, I honestly would have enjoyed the movie a lot more if maybe we focused more on Bugs, new Morpheus and kind of reintroducing us to the world and almost i don't mean this in a literal sense but kind of borrowing a little bit from the the force awakens where maybe the journey is to finding neo and it's not the first 20 minutes of the movie we found neo and now we get him out and then we just kind of say hey this is how the world has evolved since the end of revolutions and now we're going to basically just do the last act of the first movie again except we're going to get trinity instead of uh, morpheus if neo was the um was the destination not the journey yes because i think you can do a lot of what they already did with these new characters but where they kind of dropped the ball was focusing too much on just having neo be there and just be astonished at the progress that happened in io which replaced zion it really just kind of felt like you have answers about what happened after the Matrix here, or you have questions about what happens after Matrix Revolutions. Here's your answers, other than what happened to Morpheus, which if you follow the Matrix online, he got shot by a dude in an alleyway, I guess, mm-hmm. trying to recover Neo's body. But that's kind of it. Neo, at least on screen, never even bothers asking about Morpheus other than there's a statue of him. Cool. Oh, he was the leader. Cool. That scene was so weird because he says something along the lines of like, well, that was terrible or something. But if you actually, you know, put on the subtitles, what she said, she actually didn't say anything about what happened. What other than he was elected leader. Something's happened. Zion collapsed. Okay. What, <laughs> what caused the collapse of Zion? What caused the, fra- the, the, uh, the fractioning uh, where you had to create io what actually happened instead we get kind of like this cave with a lot of candles a few skulls and a statue and then we find out that the synthians which are liberated machines uh that no longer wish to be part of the matrix process they've come to io and they've actually helped manufacture like an artificial sky and they've helped them uh, bioengineer fruit they talk about how um they have to modify the genome to except to be able to process photosynthesis through the artificial sky. And like, there's really cool concepts that really don't matter other than kind of expositing what's happening since the end of revolutions. Once you get out of the matrix with this movie, it it really kind of starts to fall apart because it it really becomes a lot of the same stuff. So like Niobe is essentially captain lock, just kind of like, I understand your mission, but I've built something here and you're not going to disrupt it. So we're not going to do anything to make any real significant change here. And it just, if it was really, really annoying kind of just to see her sit there and be buddy, buddy with Neo and then completely commiserate with him and understand what he's going through. And then just say, no, you can't do this. Like, I understand what you're doing. I understand what you need to do. I'm not going to let you do it. Even if I can completely just, have plausible deniability and say, Hey, these were some rogue captains. Can't we still have peace? Like, Oh, they they're dead anyway. So what does it matter to kind of go back to what you were talking about with Trinity? There was that really quick, 
we only got it once. Like, there's so much of Trinity's story that I feel like we we missed. It was either cut out or they just didn't deem it important enough. There's a really quick glimpse early on where Neo and Trinity are talking while they're still embedded in the Matrix. And we get a quick shot of Trinity and her altered digital self-image from the Matrix. Mm -hmm. It's the only time we see it. And I I don't know if it's just Lana Wachowski's way of kind of showing us this is how she's been hidden from the world. But like only Neo can see her the way she is because of their connection. I I really don't know. And there's there's a lot of really strange stuff that they've done uh, as far as like dialogue goes because they... They see Trinity, and the, but they talk about her code and as they're looking at her through the Matrix screens. And they're like, it looks like Trinity, but there's something off about it. Which, maybe that's as simple as the, the digital self-image has changed. But it's such a line that you would think there's more to it. Like, maybe she's actually a program. And that goes into another thing that... Um, th- this movie's kind of tangents on tangents. To me, there's no real threat, which really impacts how the tension of the movie really grabs you because there's nothing that really feels life-threatening i guess for lack of a better word because i mean part of the problem with the original matrix sequels was neo was god mode he nothing could really stop him and that's where the the fight in the merovingians mansion was kind of a big deal because someone was able to get a cut on him but he was still able to fly around and do everything so they kind of depowered neo to a point and uh but like they're the agent's Everyone feels like they can just kind of deal with the agents at this point. Yes. I do like the idea that they essentially took the keymaker's abilities and just made it a program or made it a hack mm-hmm. instead of need- needing phone booths or other things like that. I like that a lot. The big thing for me was there was never any real sense of urgency to any fight. Sorry for an abrupt cut. I had to make an emergency bathroom break. Um, so I was talking about how there's like a lack of urgency and a lack of really any kind of threat to Neo or any of the new resistance fighters. That's fine. But the way they kind of supplement the eight, the threat of the agents is through these bots. I, I don't get it. They're, they're essentially programs that are, that can be zombified. And I guess through the sheer numbers, they can be threatening like a zombie horde, but we never see it. So it, it really just seems like they're always inconvenienced by the bots, but they're always, talking about how, oh, bots, bots. Oh, no, it's a it's a swarm of bots. You guys literally took care of them in 10 seconds. Yeah, that part I didn't quite understand either because uh, I think Neo's assistant, Jude, I think his name is, is like a bot who's watching over him. Trinity has like one of her workers uh, who builds um, bikes with her, has a bot. And that scene with, base, uh, with the analyst where he's like, oh yeah, that dude's a bot. See, and he activates him, and he immediately pulls a gun out of like out of a drawer. It's like, are bots programs or are they people? Like, are the people that have like a supplemental program on top of them that zombifies them immediately, or are they literally just creations? I took it as their creations slash programs that are really only programmed to kind of fulfill the uh, the arch- the new architect Neil Patrick Harris program design of creating misery. But they can also have that switch flipped in them instead of having to like transform into an agent. The Matrix programming just kind of takes over and they just blindly follow and attack whatever they need to attack. I guess I'm not confident of the distinction between the bot and swarm mode. I I assume they're kind of one and the same. I I really don't understand. Like I said, it was really poorly explained and uh, Trinity's not husband was and her kids were bots as well. Like they're I think they're just 
programs that were designed to create misery in their their subject. Right. Hmm. They're like I said, this kind of just kind of bottlenecks into just. I really don't know where to go with most of this because again, there it doesn't really do anything you'd want out of a Matrix movie. Uh, outside of the first like 20 minutes it doesn't really challenge your perception on anything the only time i really was kind of like oh this is getting meta was when they were blatantly meta where they were talking about how neo who at the beginning of the movie is a video game programmer who created the matrix he's told they have to make a sequel and the studio warner brothers which they very blatantly say will make the sequel one way or another, whether or not Neo as Thomas Anderson is involved or they bring in someone else, which felt very much like we're calling out the fact that this is potentially going to be bad because it's a 20 years later sequel and Warner Brothers was going to make this movie one way or another. So we figured we might as well be involved while we can. Right. Which again, it doesn't excuse the quality of the movie. And I, I almost would, if it were me, Outside of the paycheck, I would probably be like, okay, go ahead, make a bomb and ruin this franchise for yourself. So I think what the movie fails to do is finish exploring the themes that it introduced. One of the things that really bothered me is I, I rewatch the Matrix trilogy and the Animatrix every year. It's just, it's it's on my cycle of things to do, like watch Lord of the Rings. It's, it just, it's a comfort thing, but also I finally notice things. And something I've noticed in the second and third movie is, the introduction of more new uh, more layers without exploration of what those layers are. So like the second movie introduces were- werewolves, vampires, and ghosts, <laughs> and then doesn't do anything with them. Like the werewolves come up in... Um... Which outside of the ghosts, you also don't really even know that any of those programs or people are those things. Like I think maybe if I'm remembering, you do see like the vampire teeth from one of them, but you're just kind of like, what the heck? Well, she's like, anything that's not acting like it should... They're from an earlier form of the Matrix. They're very hard to kill. After all, who carries silver bullets? And literally on the TV that they're watching is the Wolfman. And so that's where, oh, they're werewolves. And then she shoots one with a silver bullet. And then they end up fighting him, but he somehow kills them without silver. But then there's the ghosts, which are obvious ghosts. But in the third movie, they go to Club Hell. And those are supposed to be vampires that she that they fight to get to the Merovingian. Because they flip upside down and can run across the ceiling. So they're supposed to be where uh, vampires and that's where you get the whole like one of them's fighting trinity upside down the ceiling and like hisses in her face and you see the fangs and she kind of tilts her head jumps in the air and kicks him into a wall and defeated but it doesn't ex- fully explain how are they different how are they harder are they agent level difficult are they what is their motivation for being here what do they do other than just oh they're not people that is one of the things that i think that this one doesn't fully carry the ball forward with, which is what does swarm mode actually mean? Is he so willing to continue to trap Trinity and Neo for the production levels of misery for power that they need that he's willing to sacrifice hundreds, if not thousands of people because everybody on the train got swarm mode when the, during that cool train fight, then what are also the ramifications of these aren't people they're freeing. These are now they're just killing people who are being controlled, the good guys, which makes me a little uncomfortable with now you're just slaughtering innocent people who are being controlled, who are now being exercised an even worse form of control over their lives. And they're just dying for no reason other than our our heroes need someone to fight, which is what I liked about the original trilogy. The original trilogy was anytime an agent showed up, people panicked other than Neo. 
even you know Trinity in the second movie, she knew she had to do this to get Neo to the source so that they could hopefully free Zion. She went in and she lost fighting one agent. She she basically was like, I'm doing this for Neo. I'm challenging myself and I'm going to endure this for Neo. But in this one, it's just the agents are like, okay, they just kind of run from them. There can be 16 firing at you, flip over a car and just run away. But then, oh, swarm mode is fun. And it's like, okay, we're just going to slaughter all these people that we could potentially be free. Yeah, it's it's a really strange conflict of what are you going to show us? What are you going to tell us? And how does that fit into the logic of the show or of the series? That's one of those things that I, I the, there was no logic to it. They just kind of name dropped it and we're just supposed to accept what it is. Yeah, and I, I didn't understand bringing the Merovingian back for one scene where he rants in, in where he rants in French and English briefly. I since I've watched it twice now, the second time I noticed he spews things like, "This isn't as good as it used to be. Um, this is all reboots and cycles and, and and sequels, and it it has no nuance like the original." And I'm like, "Are you literally just here to just say that this Hang is a, a badly on. a badly filmed fight scene?" <laughs> That scene I was going to bring up just the next thing, um, the Merovingian coming back was just a, it was a complete hey boomer kind of thing to me mm-hmm. where he just kept spewing all these, these hot phrases and he almost, he says something about like a, a Zucker or something like clearly not going all the way to Zuckerberg, but trying yeah. to get there. The shoehorning of the Merovingian and the, the warehouse fight scene was supposed to be like their big fight scene moment, like the, the highway scene it didn't do anything. It it was basically the only point it served was to re-reveal Jonathan Groff as Smith, which to go back to your point about Jonathan Groff being revealed to be Smith, Hugo Weaving was supposed to reprise his role as Smith, um, but he couldn't get out of a, a theater contract that he had or he couldn't get the time away. So um, the, the, re- the immediate reveal was intentional because Obviously, if you see Hugo Weaving saying these lines again, you're going to understand what's happening a little bit better. But in this case, they have to kind of go with the the digital self-image reimagining kind of thing, Yeah. which, again, also doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if the whole point of the f- two sequels is Smith has become a virus, you need to get rid of him. Why are you bringing him back? Even if it is just to torture Neo, why are you bringing that volatile potential virus into your system again i don't know it, there's to bring back your point of there's no stakes it's something else i realized on the second viewing so basically the story arc is free neo find out io is all cool he gets briefly arrested for literally a scene before being freed taken back to the matrix tries to get out trinity the big reveal happens with um the analyst he doesn't get her out niobe is now on their side after one scene of like, well, I guess I should have thought about that. And then they do a quick montage. This is how we get her out and basically just get her out. But then what happens after that, where there's no stakes is, so Niobe asks for, I need two ships to go forward. And every pilot steps forward, which is which is an inversion of Matrix 3, where Niobe wants, uh, where... They ask, the council asks for two pilots, Niobe stands up, and then they basically, uh, no, someone stands up, and then Niobe finally does, and they have the two pilots who are waiting for Neo. Which now, this is a different one, where Niobe's like, I need two people, but everybody joins, which I kind of like that. What are all those other ships doing? Because the (laughs) only people we see in the Matrix are Bugs' crew. 
and not a single one of them dies. Everybody makes it out alive. Yeah, there's no urgency to anything. Like everyone survives. There's nothing to it. And I mean, part of that I think comes down to the fact that other than bugs and seek, no one else is really memorable. Uh, yeah. There's the one guy that's fanboying over Neo as a neologist, but he—I don't even remember his name. And then Burr. there, there was the one dude. I—I I did. I watched this twice as well, just to kind of refresh myself. And uh, this on the second viewing, there's the guy who is Niobe's right hand guy, and he's taking Neo to the break or whatever. And he just talks to Neo, kind of fanboying as well. He's talking like, "Could you really fly? Please forgive me. I, I've never met a legend before." And I got a little offended for Niobe. Like, Niobe should be a legend in your society. She helped. She had her own video game. <laughs> I mean, I, I do get what they're going with that because he's like, so could you actually fly? And in, in, he's like, yeah. Yeah, I could. And he's like, cool. And then locks him in the thing and Neo walks into the balcony he's immediately freed. But yeah, Niobe is a legend. And Niobe did do her part in that. And she got Morpheus out of there. And, you know, cleaned out the, whatever they called that, the shipyard or whatever, with coming in and flying through the tunnels and sewers no one can fly through. She's awesome. But where was the other crew? Is What were they doing? That's... I I think it was still supposed to just be like a two-ship mission. And then the other ones just kind of... They, I, they, I guess they must have like drawn straws to see who would actually go at that point. Yeah, but I don't. I didn't remember seeing anyone else from any other crew. I thought the, everyone who walked in was... Ba- yeah, the, again, it, it's a little bit of a sloppy storytelling. Like, I think that was just supposed to be kind of like you noticed that comparison, the the parallel from the third movie or the second movie where no one steps forward, but in this time, everyone steps forward. And I, I really don't want to sound like I, I'm nitpicking this thing. I, I think the movie is fine. It is very much just a movie. I don't think it, it necessarily is the worst thing I've ever seen. But it, again, it's it's the Matrix. You expect a little bit more out of it. Just to kind of I, I to follow up immediately saying I'm not nitpicking. There was <laughs> one moment where the dialogue just really went off the, the deep end for me because there, there's that scene where the weird flying not Stingray mech shows up to reveal Priyanka Chopra's character is Sati from the sequels. Everyone's freaking out because there's there's a, a a machine flying into Io and coming at Niobe. You would think that'd be a, a semi-normal thing where, oh, what is this? Okay, should we be on alert? No, but these people already just blast it. Niobe's like, oh, it's a friend. It's a friend. And then she immediately turns around and goes, hello, friend. What? You just, you just told us her name. You can't say hello, <laughs> whatever you, the name is. I forget what it is. Like she says, it's a friend. And then turns around immediately and says, it's a friend or hello, friend. Like, who talks like that? They literally have the, them on their ships. That's the funny thing. Because, you know, Neo gets introduced to the two uh, sentients on the ship. And they they do the, you know, the head, the forehead touch dog nuzzle thing to one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, th- that's a different, those are, those ones, I, obviously they like, no. But then there's this like giant manta ray looking kind of thing. That's the one that Niobe's like talking to that shows up and it's got the, the Sati program built into it. I, I don't know. It was just the dialogue was really weird. Like, oh, it, it's a friend, it, it, like in Gakwe or something. I don't know yeah. what they called it. Um, Hello, friend. Like, yeah. oh, it, it's it's a friend. And then she turns around. Hello, friend. Really? Who talks like that? So I, I don't know. That, that part really stuck out to me on the second viewing again, just because I'm looking for different things to kind of stand out. And unfortunately, that was a really bad line of dialogue where Niobe got really bad Mr. Rogers syndrome. 
the movie isn't bad in my opinion the movie is just there like in my opinion it's it's a 20 years later sequel that was kind of made to make the masses happy and unfortunately it makes no one happy because of what it ended up being this is keanu's second 20 plus year movie a uh, sequel in two years. Last year he had Bill and Ted face the music. This, you know, this year he has uh, the Matrix Resurrections. I enjoyed Bill and Ted face the music more because it had a sweetness to it and an endearing quality to it that it felt like they really wanted to make it. They really wanted to cap off Bill and Ted's journey of the song that would, you know, bring peace to the universes and usher in the floating chair future. Oh, with uh, with George Carlin. This movie, I found fascinating. The until they got Neil free, I found it fascinating because the meta ness, random Christina Ricci ness, <laughs> that she's randomly in a boardroom. I'm like, one scene, interesting. That they're acknowledge some of the things are acknowledging. I found the analyst's description of what was happening interesting with his whole like, well, I figured out we're not going to let the anomaly go. And the closer you guys are together, the worse it gets for us. But if we keep you too far apart, it all falls apart. But keep you just close enough to create enough misery, everything's fantastic for everyone. I found those moments great. But once he's free until they get to the rooftop at the end, that extra 50 minutes is just so underwhelming that... I can't love it. I just have to be like, okay, it's there. It's the fifth base best Matrix movie. It goes Matrix, Animatrix, two and three, and then Resurrections. It's just the diminishing returns. Yeah, and that's part of the the twenty year later sequel kind of thing. Like uh, like I said earlier, I feel like if they had just went, here's Bugs, here's her crew, we have the Synthians, and we've just busted out Morpheus, and there's a mystery to solve. I think that would have been a better movie that allowed them to still answer those questions that they had Neo to kind of ask, but you could do a show don't tell kind of thing where instead you have Neo holding our hand through all of this. Once he's Neo again, there's even a little bit of, you know, once he's been freed, there's even a little bit of his almost acting almost regresses a little bit (laughs) because it's, because it's more like, Whoa, I have to deal with the fact that it's been like 20 years and it's like, and He's almost back to the whole, oh, people are worshiping me again. But the two scenes with Trinity are so good. And the last, once they get to the rooftop, so basically what happens is they they have to free Trinity, Swarmo gets activated, and they end up on the rooftop. You see in the trailer where the rocket, where helicopters are firing rockets at them. They realize to get out of the Matrix, they have to do the leap of faith. And Trinity fully accepts who she is. She has her call back of looking over at the night sky. Now that she's herself again, she believes in herself. She believes in Neo again. She's with the person she needs to be. She looks over at like the, the, the daybreak that's coming up. And she repeats her line from Matrix 3 of, it's beautiful while looking at the sun. And they take their hands together and they leap off and they start to plummet. And she catches them. She is the one who fully re-grabs herself and her powers before Neo did, which I think was great. The, pro- the Matrix 1 through 3 are basically about Neo believing in himself, but only with support. He doesn't believe in himself until Trinity does. He doesn't believe in... Neo. Morpheus is like, you're the one, you're the one, you're one. But when it comes down to, I need to save people, I need to rescue people, it's her support that gives him the ability to fly. So I think that makes sense in the movie, where he doesn't really get all of his powers back. He even tries to fly at one point. He's like, nope, that ain't happening. He doesn't get his full powers back because he doesn't have her. 
But I think it makes sense that once he free helps free her and they're like, we are in this together. She's immediately like, I am Trinity. I am a badass. And if we're going to fall, I'm going to fucking fly and catch you. And we're going to leave this together. That I think was great. I think it was honest and true to her character. She always believed in him to, you know, some, you know, her detriment, she almost died at the second movie while she did die briefly. So I think that was beautiful. And I do like the ending where she flies to the analyst and she kicks him in the face, which is this really weird CGI of like his jaw collapsed into his neck and it's super grotesque. And then she basically slams him in a wall and she says, that's for bringing children into this. (laughs) (laughs) There's a great moment in the background. You see that Neo has picked up deja vu with a cat and is like petting the cat and playing with it. I think that that last scene is, is really good. Although it is a little sequel baity. I, yes. To, to kind of end it end our discussion of this on a high note. Um, I did want to, uh, mention that I really don't understand what that whole explosion thing is, especially when they show in the real world that the explosion happens too. I really, I, I don't understand fully what that is supposed to represent, but at, in the final shot of the movie where both Neo and Trinity are flying together, when they touch hands, that's when they're like right in the center where the sun is and you get a little bit of a lens flare, which I thought that was a really cool effect. But like, again, I don't know what the explosion means, but the the shot is gorgeous. When she rescues them from the matrix and they like, they unjack them. She immediately knows that like he's to her left and he immediately knows that they put her into the one to the right. They're kind of like reach for each other. And then they stand up and it's like, yeah, you guys have aged a bit. It's been 20 years and you guys both have no, It's, it's been 60 years. <laughs> well, yeah, but for them, it's been 20. Uh, well, and re- they even say at one point, like, I think, like, Niobe says, you look like you've aged about 20 years. Well, I got 60 something on me or something like that. I really like that. Like, they didn't really say anything. They just, like, they're back together. And I like that. Yeah. So it's not a bad movie. It's just, it continues the faults of the sequels, which is just, there's a little less to stand out and there's a little less fulfillment with the themes you know when you keep stacking themes on top of you know your late your cake you forget to actually finish them off (laughs) yeah i I think there there is a lot of stuff that might have been left on the cutting room floor but the movie is already still two and a half hours long so i i really don't know what themes they they decided it felt like almost every theme was cut off at some point and they just went, we need to, we need to end this. The whole point of this is getting Neo and Trinity back together, but that's never actually been like the point of the matrix. So it's, it's a really weird trying to put a bow on it while maybe also kicking off a new trilogy, who knows? So it is just really strange, but um, to kind of end on a, on high notes, I, again, I do want to praise bugs and, and new Morpheus. Again, the performance is really fun. And I, I really love the, the the shift in the fashion sense of the movie as well where morpheus is wearing these bright outfits and just really like for lack of a better word almost flamboyant like he just feels like he just feels cool he just feels like yeah i'm I'm morpheus yeah i got this it's all gonna be good yeah so i i really do want to end on a high note because again i I think it's it is a, a fine movie i i don't know necessarily right now if it's a good movie right but it's not a bad movie at the very least so I, I think that's kind of where I have to leave it. I, I know we have our usual rating system, but I don't know that this movie qualifies for must see or pass. It's very much a, uh, you need to judge for yourself kind of movie. Yeah. I mean, if you want, if you want to turn it off at, at the halfway point, cause you're bored, kind of get it. If you want to watch it to the end because you're riveted, I get it. 
I, I can't say, I mean, if you're a Matrix fan, you should see it because there is enough there that I think you'll be um, at least amused. But if you're like, I think I've seen the Matrix once and wasn't there sequels? Don't, you don't need to see it. You're, I mean, you'll be caught up because they do add in flashbacks those little quick snippets that they keep showing of like, hey, this is a callback. 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 When they actually show scenes from the original movie. But it was, I enjoyed it. I just wasn't pleased by it. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. And I know I said I wanted to end on a high note, but I just remembered um, going back towards the end of the, the, the Trinity heist, essentially. Neo has a really bad Batman v Superman moment where once Trinity starts flying, he's dangling underneath her. And he looks up at her and he's like, I'm not doing this. Like, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> it's just like Batman with Wonder Woman showing up and being like, I thought she was with you. Like You literally were exchanging emails with her, man. You know he, she is not with Superman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I almost want them to do a, a sequel just because I think they, I want to see more Neil Patrick Harris. I want to know what the hell is going on with Smith. Is Monica Bellucci still there? I mean, the Merovingian's alive. There's there's questions I have. And I have a crush on Monica Bellucci, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, anyone who sees her has a crush on her. They, I, she's gorgeous. Yes. If they're given you know, the nod to go forward, I would want Neo and Trinity to take a step back. I want to see more of Bugs. Bugs kind of reminds me of Yelena a bit, to call back to Hawkeye, because someone who was just kind of like thrilled to be there and is this kind of effervescent, bubbly personality of like, hey, you're the hero, but I'm so here on your side and I'm going to protect, you know, I'm going to defend you and I'm going to be a badass and I'm, I have a ship and I'm rescuing. That is just so fun. It, it is a very big breath of fresh air yes. in a universe that doesn't have a lot of fresh air after the first movie. So I think we're going to wrap it up there because, again, we could probably worm, not worm tail, worm what I've. I don't even know. I'm getting tired. We could spiral this forever. It has been a spiral. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, yeah, we could spiral down uh, in in this forever if if we really wanted to get into nitpicky territory or just again there there are things to enjoy in this movie, but it, it's very much something I think you need to see for yourself. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate you guys taking a listen. There should be more stuff coming soon. Uh, I will be sharing links to. I have quite a few guest spots lined up for myself, and then I I keep trying to pawn out Alex and Beppo and everyone, but uh, everyone's busy with life. So you're, you're getting a lot of me in other places and I, <laughs> I hope you're coming to us from those places as well, because we appreciate your time. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us and I hope you enjoy what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind leaving reviews on Apple podcasts, Spotify, good pods, anchor, uh, wherever you listen to us, if you could please leave reviews, uh, and we would greatly appreciate feedback. Even if you think this is rambling and boring, <laughs> let us know. I want to know because I want to know what we can fix to make this a more pleasurable listening experience for our people that take the time to listen to us. I am at Josh underscore scar on Twitter. Scar is spelled S K double A R two A's one R. You can find us on the talking smack podcast at talking smack pod S M A C superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. And Alex has no social media presence nope. so <laughs> but i do have great contacts so as we're ending this uh our theme music is remixed by don davis don davis did the matrix of the uh, the music of the original matrix trilogy did not come back for resurrections though so he had some free time and i got him to record something for us 
<laughs> so roll that theme music and thanks again, everyone. <laughs> Take care. Bye. This is where I just feel dead air and talk about stuff randomly. Do do do. I'm just gonna hum to myself about how awesome things are. Maybe a Josh will actually listen to my audio. Probably not. But the funny thing about what he said, his friend was like making him watch The Matrix and how he was kind of ruining it, which reminds me that my high school girlfriend, she hadn't seen The Matrix either, and my aunt needed to move. And so we had started watching, so I, ha- I had the Blu-ray and we were watching, uh, not the Blu-ray, the DVD, and we were watching it at my house. And then my aunt's like, hey, listen, you said you're helping me move. I'm like, oh, that's right. So we grabbed the, we grabbed the DVD, we, you know, grabbed the DVD, went to her place, put it into the TV, because of course you move the TV last, because this is back in the 90s where TVs were like 19 to 30 inches and weighed 50,000 pounds. So you didn't move them often, put it in her PlayStation 2. My girlfriend kept watching the movie while I helped my aunt pack and move stuff into her van, uh, the moving van. But we didn't, she didn't get to finish watching Matrix. So we paused it, <laughs> picked up the, got the TV into the moving van with the, with the, you know, with the PlayStation in there, got to her new place, unloaded the TV first, because that's, you know, the last thing goes in, because it's the heaviest in the back, unloaded that, plugged it in, plugged in the PlayStation put it back on for her to keep watching and she finished it as we were unloading the uh, unloading the moving van now my girlfriend said she enjoyed the film and remained dating me at that time so i'm assuming that she actually enjoyed it but she didn't come this is going as a post credits just so you know (laughs) my story (laughs) yes i i have my my earbuds in i just kind of walked away because i figured you like walk away and go talk to liz or something